0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Good morning, Harvest Muskoka. I need a warmer uh, greeting than that. In light of the temperature, nothing like getting booked to preach in Muskoka in January. Uh, but uh, no, it's it's good to be here. We were staying at uh, the Holiday Inn Express with uh, all the skiers who are here, so it was just a whole hotel full of skiers and a preacher and his wife. That was uh, that's that's about it. Yeah, Kai asked me to speak here, so I uh, grabbed my uh, I grabbed the first plaid flannel shirt I had to make the way north. I let my beard grow in a little bit uh, extra to uh, to be to fit in with everyone here. So. Uh, good to be here again, and to be able to share God's Word with you. We're going to be in Acts chapter uh, 11, and I want to start with a survey. Um, I'm going to ask you a question: uh, Who here is good at keeping your mouth shut when it's obvious that that's the thing you should do? Nobody here. Nobody is willing to say that you're good at that. Um, The Bible knows how tough this is because we're actually encouraged with this. I love this verse. We're encouraged with this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. And maybe that's why you didn't put your hand up. Uh, When he closes his lips, he is deemed to be intelligent. And I can see some moms writing that verse down. You're going to put that on the fridge this afternoon, I know, and make sure your family sees that all week. But in today's passage, this this relates to what we're going to see in Acts 11. Because in today's passage, some Christians were opposing what God was very evidently doing. And in verse 18, we're going to read the passage in a moment. But in verse 18, it says, they fell silent at what the apostle Peter had shared with them about it. And that's going to be the challenge for us as we look at this narrative here this morning. To see how we ought to push through our own hesitations and our own opposition to respond appropriately when God is at work. And um, that's what we're going to see here in in chapter 11, verses 1 to 18, which I'm going to read right now. You follow along in your Bible as as I do that. Acts 11. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem... The circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen? Amen. So here's what we're going to go after. When God is at work, uh, several things are going to be true of me. When God is at work, uh, I will, first of all, I will expect the unexpected. Uh, Peter uh, here in the passage is giving a report, chapter 11 and chapter 10 uh, go together here in, in Acts, but he's giving a report to the church leaders after this unusual occurrence, this encounter between Peter and Cornelius. And the first 15 verses that we just read here is a briefing of the events in chapter 10. 10. And consider that to this point, if you know the book of Acts, to con- that at this point, they had already experienced over and over again, uh, God moving in very unexpected ways. But this incident with Peter, Peter who is a Jewish apostle, and Cornelius, a Roman soldier, shook, shook them in a way that these other uh, unexpected uh, occurrences had not. And it shook them because the theory that the gospel was for all the nations, that they should go to all nations to preach this word and make disciples, that theory was now become a reality. And they didn't know what to do with it. So verse 1, they heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Verse 2 says that the circumcision party, this is a group of people within the church, this circumcision party struggled with this and criticized him. So this is Jewish Christians within the new, this fledgling church who are still committed to the principles and practices of Judaism even though they're Christians and in the church. And they believed that Gentiles had to become, essentially, that Gentiles had to become Jews before they could become Christians. That they had to get circumcised before they could get baptized. Now, as a church growth strategy, that's really going to limit things, wouldn't you say? Some of you got it. You'll think about it. Some of you will think about it. You'll get it on the way home. These Jewish Christians were going after Peter for verse 3. This is their specific beef. Uncircumcised men meeting with them, going to them, and eating with them, having a meal with them. Now, to be fair to this circumcision group, Peter also as an apostle was also struggling with the very same thing. And what's ironic, though, is that there are clues throughout the Old Testament and in the Gospels from the lips of Jesus himself that the Gentiles as well as Jews would be saved by grace in the exact same way as anyone else, not not through adherence to the Mosaic law, not that anyone was ever saved through adherence to the law. In fact, all of this was a promise given 2,000 years before Christ in the Abrahamic covenant. If you read Genesis chapter 12, you're going to see that it was through Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed, all the nations, not just Israel. And so what happened to Cornelius should not have been unexpected, and yet it was. And people were upset about it. Just like in the 21st century, people get upset about anyone challenging their traditions, about anyone trying to change anything in the church. Even, even a, a great church like this one that's uh, fairly new and planted more recently, at least in terms of church history, can very quickly get so comfortable with the way things are that they don't like that they changed this or that, or that something isn't the way we always used to have it. That's a principle that goes all the way back to the beginning. They're upset about these traditions being challenged. Verse 4, so Peter explained to them in order. He wants to tell the whole story. Verse 5, he's praying. He sees a vision. There's this sheet that comes down. Verse 6, there's all kinds of unclean animals on it. And, and, and by unclean, what they mean is these are the animals that that the Jews, according to Mosaic Law, were not allowed to eat. And so you can think about, I just picked some of my favorites. Maybe he saw lobster, or shrimp, or or bacon, or pork chops. Am I speaking your language? This is what Peter perhaps would see. This is what I envisioned. If, If it was a sheet in a vision I was seeing, this is what I would see. I would see all the things that I... Love. But anyways, Peter wasn't allowed to eat these things, and he hears a voice saying, verse seven, go ahead and eat. Now, I just want to acknowledge for a moment, if we could just pause, I know that this is a very difficult sermon for vegetarians and vegans. If you have any of those in Muskoka, I'm not sure, but this is a, it's a wonderful message for carnivores. All the carnivores are completely on board with the word of God here today. Peter responds, nope, can't do it, Lord. Basically he says, I've never eaten bacon, I'm not gonna start eating bacon now. God explains it further. He's saying the old rules are out. All of the Mosaic law has been fulfilled in Jesus, and now because those, those laws have been fulfilled in Jesus, the next time, Peter, you go through the drive-thru at Wendy's, you can order the Baconator. Like, you can have that. I'm pra- paraphrasing much of this, as you can tell. <laughs> typical of peter and his interactions with the lord though it takes look at verse 10 it takes three tries three tries for peter to get it in the vision and verse 11 once the vision is done the messengers from cornelius they show up they're knocking at the door and verse 12 the spirit told peter to go with them and that he was to be done the word here in the text is he was to be done with any distinction between Jew and Gentile. And there's a great reference in Ephesians 2.14 about the dividing wall of hostility coming down and at least one of the applications of that dividing wall of hostility in Paul's mind is, is the, the dividing of wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. So Peter went with him, he took six brothers with him to witness everything so that they could stand with him as they were here in Jerusalem. And they entered this Gentile's house. And this is no big deal to us. Like we, I have, across the street from me, there's a Muslim family. Muhammad is there. And His, his, or or, sorry, Ali's house, and Muhammad is his son, and Sean is his other son. And, uh, you know, I could go over there, I've been over there, and uh, no issue going over and having a chat with them and fellowshipping with them. If I was invited into their house, I would go in their house, I could have them into our house, no problem, but big deal back then. Cornelius told his uh, side of things um, uh, in verse 13 how he had seen the angel send to Joppa, bring Peter, so you can hear this message. Verse 14, a message which you, by which you will be saved, which he explained back in chapter 10. We're witnesses. This is chapter 10, verses 39 and 41. You can look back there. we witnesses of all that Jesus did. They put him to death by hanging him on the tree, but God raised him on the third day, made him to appear not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. And he told these Gentiles the good news in verse 43, of chapter 10, that everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him, Jew or Gentile, that's how this Gentile Cornelius is hearing this. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The gospel is for everyone, just as God had said to Abraham, not through circumcision, but through faith. And sure enough, as he spoke, verse 15, it's kind of climax of the story, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. They received the Holy Spirit. And it came as a surprise to them. But in hindsight, it was God doing exactly what he said he'd do. And in order to get what God is saying here, we have to put ourselves in the place of these Jewish Christians seeing God do something extraordinary and and wrestling down our struggle with it and accepting the fact that God is reaching those who are different. And God's aim is to root out of us any evangelistic prejudice that we might have. And I think we probably all have a little bit of evangelistic prejudice. We struggle with who can be saved and and who isn't worthy of this message. This is is why this particular section of Scripture is so important to us, why this story is so important to us. It it sounds at first glance a Jew-Gentile thing. It sounds like a first century church problem, except that it speaks to the value of every human being. Jews considered Gentiles to be dogs and I get some of you have dogs, some of you love dogs. We don't have dogs. We had kids, now we have grandkids. We don't have dogs. I know a lot of you have dogs and you consider them your fur friends and you spend a lot of money and time on them and you talk to them. And I get that. I'm not a dog person, but I get the dog people but that's not the kind of dogs we're talking about here because that wasn't the kind of image they had of dogs in the first century. When they called Gentiles dogs, they meant it as a very derogatory, inflammatory, insulting statement. Your street dogs, you, your, 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 your vagabonds, your, your pariahs in society. We won't have anything at all to do with you. And, and that's the evangelistic prejudice that was built into them. But we have it as well because we can rank people in our life on the same scale, deciding in our own minds who can be saved and who is worthy of our evangelistic efforts, who merits our prayers, who's, who's deserving of our love, who, who's worth our time to 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 pour out our lives in service toward them. The immigrant neighbor or, or the, the person who's consumed by some addiction or the person whose marriage has come to an end. The person who thinks differently than, than we do politically. Those who are struggling with, with, with a gender uh, uh, identity or, or, or their sexuality in some way. And we can write people off so easily. Not worthy of my time. And God shows us that as difficult or impossible as some conversions might seem to us, we should expect the unexpected from God. As he works on their lives, as he works in and through us, we should be looking for him to do the extraordinary precisely with the people that we think would never get saved. We should look for the surprising. We should assume that what God is going to do is is push us out of our comfort zone. We should expect that God is going to challenge our underlying assumptions. Here's a second. You and I are also going to look to his word. When God is at work, I'm going to expect the unexpected. And we're going to look to his word. We're going to look to his word to discern when God is at work. And this isn't at all arbitrary, this isn't based on our feelings or what, what our opinions happen to be. Peter says in verse 16, In light of all of this, this challenge that he's having having about Gentiles coming to faith and receiving the Holy Spirit, receiving salvation, he says, I remembered the word of the Lord. He goes back, in essence, to the Bible. There's no printed version of the Bible that he's referring to at the time, except, of course, the Old Testament was in scrolls at the synagogues, but there was no New Testament written down. But he's quoting Jesus, the Savior, the risen Savior at this point. He's quoting Luke, who's the author of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. Luke, who would be inspired by the Spirit to include the quote of Jesus that Peter's about to use in chapter 1, verse 5. So this is Scripture. This is the Word of God that Peter is is quoting. And so Jesus said, look at in verse 16, John, Jesus said this, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a side note here, John's baptism was not Christian baptism as we practice it, post-conversion baptism as a, Image, uh, a reminder or illustration of our salvation, but this is a a baptism of repentance as a preparation for the coming of the Lord. Uh, Luke 3 4, he writes, uh, This baptism was to prepare the way of the Lord. It was a quote from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. And there's a temptation for us as Christians to look Uh, not to the Word, but to the Holy Spirit for guidance. There's plenty of people writing out in social media, plenty of Christian leaders and teachers who you might be tempted to look at and consider, all kinds of sermons that are on YouTube, and you may be tempted to watch books that have been written that, that are pushing us toward this understanding that the Holy Spirit has something extra and new for us. And we're tempted to look for that. And the reality is that it isn't one or the other for the Christian, it's actually both at the same time. We're reading the Word of God and invoking the Spirit of God to illuminate the text to us, Paul uses that word in Corinthians, to illuminate, to give us understanding of the text as we read His Word. We shouldn't look for the Spirit to tell us something that the Word has not already communicated to us. One of the commentators that um, uh, I read for, uh, and I am reading for this series is a guy by the name of Eckhart Schnabel, and he says this, salvation is given by God. It comes through listening to the message about Jesus, and it involves the reception of the Holy Spirit and baptism. It points to Scripture, and it invokes the Spirit's work. So we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, and evidently Peter also believed in the sufficiency of Scripture, because in this crisis of understanding Gentiles coming to faith, he goes back to Scripture. He he would write this in his second letter, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So yes, listen to the Holy Spirit. Read the book that he wrote. That's how we listen to the Spirit is by getting into the book that he wrote. The Apostle Paul wrote, that was Peter. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. All Scripture, to Timothy he said, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's inspired, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll give you, and, and um, here's the bonus for coming to church today. I'm going to give you the one time that it's okay to just hear from the Spirit apart from the Scriptures. Ready for it? Ready for it? I know it's cold out, but it's warm in here. You've thawed out by now. When you have, Here's, the, here's when you can listen to the Spirit separate from the Word. When you have exhausted all that the inspired Word of God has delivered to you. When you have obeyed every command, when you have repented of every sin, when you are holy even as he is holy, when you are saturated with the scriptures so much so that it oozes out from you with every word you speak and every attitude you show, then and only then when you have done all of that, you may look to the Holy Spirit to give you an extra revelation and a new word from him. Exhaust the scriptures first. And I know that that is being no doubt modeled by many here at Harvest Muskoka. And it was modeled also by someone by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. And if you know that name and you know her story, then um, this will be familiar to you. And if you don't, you're going to be blessed to, to be introduced to her. But in the 1950s, in fact, I think just a week or so ago, there was the anniversary of this incident, um, in the 1950s, Elizabeth Elliot and her husband Jim, along with four other couples, were missionaries to the Waudani tribe, or the Alka Indians, in the Amazon jungle of Ecuador. In 1956, after first contact delivering gifts to the tribe, um, her husband and the four other men were speared to death at their camp. Elizabeth would later write this, the only thing that keeps me stable and settled in these days of uncertainty is the absolute dependability of God's word. Do you think that you could say such a thing at a time like that? What's remarkable about the story, though, isn't just that she came to that place in light of the terrible circumstances that she and her daughter, Face, but she and her young daughter, Valerie, returned to that tribe, returned to the Waodani people, and within four years, many of the Waodani were saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, including the man who speared her husband, Jim. She not only survived the devastating loss of her husband and these other men, but she returned to the mission field full of faith, To carry on the mission because she looked to the Word. And to come back to the first point in this message, the death of her husband and these other men was unexpected. And not the good kind of unexpected, but a very deeply disturbing, hard to take unexpected. The deaths were unexpected. But she saw through the word of God how he might actually use that for good in her life. And who knows what God might have for you. I feel like this could still be like a New Year's type message. We're only partway through January and we still have a whole year ahead of us. And, and we, don't, we don't know what's going to happen. The next 49 weeks of 2020, we don't know what God has for us. It could be good, unexpected things, and it could be some very challenging, unexpected things. But in the midst of facing that, we have to look to the Word of God for how we're going to work through that. And then thirdly, we have to stay out of His way. Peter Peter testifies in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift, that's the Holy Spirit, if he gave the same gift of the Holy Spirit to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I love this, who is I? Who is I that I could stand in God's way? Who am I to stand in God's way? I mean, I'm thinking, as soon as I read that phrase, I was like, Coffee cups, T-shirts, memes. I mean, put it on Tukes, Muskoka. We're, you know, we're, like, we're going to get this friend. Who am I? Who am I to stand in God's way, to oppose him, to prevent him from doing it his way. Who am I to hinder him? This, these are all phrases that come out of the lexicon to describe exactly what's being said here. Who am I to hinder God? I want to stay out of his way, which, which then begs the question, how, how do I get in God's way? Are you curious about how you might get in God's way this year? Just nod your heads. I mean, I would just, just nod your heads for me. So I, I said, you know what? I, I don't think I could think of all the ways that I could possibly get in God's way. So I surveyed my staff team, and I said to them, tell me all the ways that we could get in, in the way of God. And, and we got the top eight here. The top eight ways, according to the Harvest Berry staff team, the top eight ways I get in the way of God ready for these? Ready for these? I'll preach the whole sermon again if I don't get some feedback from you guys. I'll go right back to the beginning. Um, I got nowhere else to be, so. Um, all right, top eight ways I get in the way of God uh, in my life, and my family, and all these different ways. Um, number one is unrepentant sin. That seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? I get in the way of God when I have unrepentant sin, when I'm disobedient, when I'm living my life my own way, when I am rebellious. I'm just getting in the way of God. Number two, uh, when I have a theological bias, when, when when I believe, and this happens when I take things that are primary things, like I'm locked in with God, I agree with him. On, on these things, but it's all these secondary things that I think are so important that I'm willing to die for these, and I've, I've separated myself from people because of them secondary and tertiary things that aren't really that important in the grand scheme of things, and I'm like all up in God's grill because he's not doing it exactly the way my theology fits, right? That's the Jew-Gentile thing. Here's a third one, entrenched tradition. We've kind of talked about that already, How I observe my faith trumps God's work, so I resist change. And what I'm really doing is I'm elevating religion above my relationship with God and his mission. Number four, complacency and comfort. Complacency and comfort. I don't don't really care. I want a life of ease, and I don't want God to upset that. Number five, incompatible plans. I'm, I'm, I'm good with God, so my plans and God's plans are not lining up. And I'm, I, I would just say this, I'm good with God as long as he gives me exactly what I want. Is that not you too? Like, I'm good with God as long as he gives me exactly what I want. And when he doesn't give me what I want, all of a sudden I have a, I have a problem with God. And... Um, I want God to meet my expectations. Here's a sixth one, um, thinking I know better. And it's okay to question God. We have lots of places even in the scriptures where people are appropriately questioning God. In the Psalms, you'll see some pretty stunning questions directed at God about circumstances that they find themselves in. But then in the Psalms, it always kinds of tur- it turns and they go vertical again and they get before the Lord and they remember the things of, of God's word. But this is inappropriate. Thinking I know better is inappropriately questioning him. Seven is doubt or a lack of faith. And again, doubt isn't necessarily a problem. It's okay to bring your questions and your doubts and, and, and to lay them before the Lord. But if my doubt gets to the place where it's, it's, it's um, eliminating my faith or overshadowing my faith, That's a problem. If I believe that God can't save someone or if God doesn't work in a certain way, then I need to back up on that. And eighth, not that I have a problem with this at all, but being a control freak, we don't don't know each other well enough for you to laugh at me at that point, so... Um, being noise that's fine. We, being a control freak, we won't surrender. We just won't surrender to his will and his ways, and we just fight him on it. That's the eight ways I get in the way of God. There may be more, but that's the top eight ways. And here it is, verse 18. When these Jewish Christians who had fronted Peter, over their naive assertion, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say it's a naive assertion, this naive assertion that converts needed to become Jews before they could become Christians, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They zipped their lips, they shut their mouth, and they dropped their objections. If we come to that proverb again from the very beginning, maybe they were even remembering that proverb that even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. And at that very moment, they seemed like the smartest people in the room because they just said nothing. And everybody at that moment was was coming to this appropriate response to God and his work amongst them. And that was to give him the glory. last thing that we see here. I often pray, it's, it's a, I mean, we prayed before the service here with, with some, some leaders, and, and you know, there's always a prayer. Someone always prays a prayer, God, I pray that we would glorify you this morning. And what we really mean by that, if we really mean what we're praying, is, is that God's going to receive all the credit for anything that happens here today. The preacher's not going to take any, and the worship team's not going to take any, and the production people aren't, and the ushers, and anyone who did setup, up, and all the people who are serving upstairs in children's ministry, like none of us are going to take the credit for any of this. And and really what we're asking God when, when we're asking him to, to be glorified in our services is, is God, p- could you please do something that cannot be explained by human effort? C- could you do the unexplainable? And that's the unexpected thing that we really need, is, is God to do something that is beyond human capability no human being can save a gentile or a jew only god can do that that's the miracle of salvation and in verse 18 the latter part there they glorified god saying then to the gentiles also they shut their mouths they listened to god they got the whole thing and then all of them in unison are saying then to the gentiles also god has granted repentance that leads to life they got it god's going to save whoever he wants to We're going to see in His way. We're going to go with His plan. We're going to glorify God when we expect the unexpected. We're going to glorify God when we get into His Word. And we're going to glorify God when we stay out of His way as we serve Him in this incredible mission to tell the world about Jesus Christ. And I want that for you as an individual I want that for you and your marriages. I want God to do the unexpected. I want that for your families. I want it for your neighborhoods and for uh, this town and for this region to know that the people at Harvest Church are um, representing Jesus Christ and glorifying him and expecting the most unexpected people in Muskoka to come to faith in Jesus Christ this year. Through difficult circumstances and through good circumstances. I want that uh, for all of you, and so let's look for God to do that this year, to see God at work in these ways, amen? Let me pray for us. Father, I do uh, pray earnestly for this dear church, for uh, Pastor Kai, for Libby, for the elders, for the staff team, for all of the servants who give themselves Uh, To your service every uh, week. Father, I pray for all the various ministries and programs that throughout 2024 there would be an evident moving of your Holy Spirit to do something that is inexplicable, unexpected, and glorifying to your great name because nobody here could ever have accomplished it. I pray that it would be an epic year of the moving of your Holy Spirit. in in incredible, unexplainable ways. Thank you for this time together, Father, for the privilege it is for us to get into your word and to hear you speak and for your Holy Spirit to be working in our hearts and minds to give us understanding about how to live out your holy word. We are privileged, Father, to be able to speak to you and to be able to gather together in your name in this way. And we do pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen.